Matthew chapter 7 is where we're at today. Again, we continue this series on 2020 vision. And uh, the struggle that we have in this world is this. I mean, there are a lot of things that we look at, a lot of things that happen in our lives that we don't understand, we can't explain. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There are trials and tests and struggles that will come that completely catch you off guard when they come. There are moments in your life that can completely tear you down and break you down to the core when you, when you face them. And that's hopefully some of the things we've been addressing. As we talk about this 2020 vision, where I'm hoping we go today, we're actually going back a little bit. I mentioned this a couple, uh, I think I've mentioned it the last couple of weeks, kind of alluding to us hitting a week where we talk about this. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, I'm going to read that verse for you this morning. It simply says this, Judge not that ye be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And uh, I want to I want to talk about that today. But first, I want to open with prayer because the topic and the struggle, it's going to be tough. So let's open in prayer real quickly. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to come into your house this morning. We praise you for the message that you want us to hear. God, I pray you just go with us today. Uh, Lord, be with me. Allow my words to be your words, Lord. Let me get out of the way so that you can be glorified in this. We pray this in the holy, precious, and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll tell you what. um, (laughs) This phrase is a hard phrase. And the reality is, and let's just be honest here. The reality of this phrase is simply this. How many times has somebody ever used this phrase with you? Or have you used it with somebody else? I mean, think about that for just a moment. Judge not lest ye be judged, or judge not that you be not judged. Or, um, I mean, there's different translations, and we're going to talk about some of those different translations at some point through this as well. But that's a phrase that has been used many times during many conversations. And nine times, out of, actually probably more 99 times out of 100 instead of 9 out of 10, 99 times out of 100, this phrase gets used in one way. And that is, I'm a sinner, don't judge me. And we throw this phrase about, I'm going to break it down to you right now. Judge not lest ye be judged. Using that in defense of sin, completely wrong. It is a complete misuse of scripture. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And we cannot justify our actions. By throwing out a Bible verse and saying, well, this verse says this or this verse says that. And so therefore, I'm clear in what I'm doing. Because the reality is, is if it's sin, it's sin. And it's going to be wrong regardless of how you justify it. And in fact, when you use the scripture to justify your sin, then you're really putting yourself in a bad spot. See, judge not lest you be judged. Being used in the reference of I'm a sinner. I know it. Don't judge me. Is the wrong way that this is that we use that scripture. We use it kind of trying to counteract what somebody might be saying about us. We use it to try to tear them down and say, hey, look, you got sin too. There's no reason for you to be judging me. You're going to be judged too. Well, here's the reality. Verse two clarifies that a little bit, but this is probably one of the most misapplied scriptures that you'll ever find in the word of God. I mean, we've talked about 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and how we leave parts of that out. We don't talk about the full thing. We talked about Jeremiah 29, 11 and talked about the fact that it needs other verses with it for us to really understand the context of what it is. 
Contextually speaking, if we take any scripture out of the context with which it was said, with which it is put, and if we try to start judging our lives by the scripture based on the verse that we want to live by, well, that's all well and good. But again, as I remind you from what I mentioned last week, Luke 4, 7 is a very inspirational verse until you know who said it. Because Luke 4, 7 says, if you will bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. It's a great inspirational verse until you realize that that's the devil talking to Christ. And it's not God talking to his people. But if you take that one verse and you say, well, God says that was not God. God never said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. God never said anything like that. So judge not lest you be judged or judge not unless you be judged or judge not that you be not judged or do not judge or you too will be judged. I mean, we can talk about all the different ways that this verse is portrayed. The reality is, is if you take that verse as a standalone verse, you're missing the point of what Christ was saying. You see, a few weeks ago, we started going through the Sermon on the Mount and we never got to this point for a purpose. Because we came back to this point now that we've developed some things a little bit. And honestly, I think that Thanksgiving is a great time for us to be thankful for the fact that we have salvation. That we have an opportunity, but we, we nullify our salvation when we begin to allow the scripture to be used to justify our sin. Judge not, lest you be judged does not mean I can sin all I want. Because you can't say anything because you're just as guilty as me. It does not and will not ever mean that. Because verse 2 says this. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Remember Pastor Jonathan shared with us a few weeks ago. And he said that if you come against someone with a sin, you too are now guilty of that sin. Because now you're being judged in the same manner that you are now judging someone else. You see, that changes the perspective a little bit. It doesn't justify the sin. It only makes two guilty rather than one. So you throwing out judge not lest you be judged. Well, you're judging them for judging you. So therefore, we're all one guilty party, right? I mean, is that how it works? Not exactly. But it does kind of happen this way. You see, we mishandle this verse. We mishandle it. We use it as a shield for sin. And we use it as a deflection tool rather than using it for what it was intended to be. And that is to open our eyes to who we are and what we will be found guilty of on that day of judgment. If I judge Joe for the life that he has, if I see something in Joe's life and I call him on the carpet about it, but I call him on the carpet in a way that is judgmental and not loving. If I'm not using the scripture in the proper way, if I'm not going to Joe and saying, Joe, this is what the Bible says. This is what the scripture says to me. And this is how I read it. And we need to talk about this. That's a loving way. That's not me judging Joe. That's me taking the scripture to Joe and saying, do you line up with this? I would hope somebody would do the same for me. You know, that's the thing is, do we line up with God's word? Because that's where we truly need to find ourselves. If we take a closer look at this context, what we see is this was not Jesus intent to give us freedom to sin. It was not Jesus' intent for us to feel like we need this hands-off approach to the sin and accountability. It was Jesus' intent to make us all accountable and to think about ourselves before we start casting judgment on others. 
But by throwing that verse out, by me going to Sharon and saying, you know what? I have sinned, but judge not lest you be judged. That doesn't hold me accountable. That doesn't hold her accountable. Because there was no self-reflection. There was no circumspectual view in that regard. I didn't look at my own life before I went to Sharon and say, what am I guilty of? What do I need to come before the Lord for? What do I need to lay at the altar before I can even have this conversation with Sharon? What do I need to let go of before I go and take up this battle? Because if I've got this in my life, then there's no reason for me to say anything to Sharon unless I go to Sharon and say, look, we're both guilty of the same thing. Let's get through this together. Let's pray through this together and let's seek the only one who can give us salvation. Until we get to that point in our life, then there's something we're going to struggle with every single day. I'm guilty of many things in my life. But for me to throw out, judge not lest you be judged, is just a simple way for me to say, look, don't look at me. Let's, let's look over here. Let's deflect this back to you. Let's, let's push this away so that I don't have to think about it. Those who repent and place their faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone, for their salvation. Our children of God. That's something that we need to understand and know today. Those who, re- who place their trust in Christ and in Christ alone are named children of God. That is each one of us if we have put our hope in him. And that also means this. It means that your sin is forgiven. It means that the sin that you... And I'm jumping right to the, to the end before the beginning. Um... Your sin is forgiven the moment you come forward and you lay it at the altar. If there is a problem in your life and you ask for repentance for that and you lay it down, leave it down. Don't pick it back up as you walk away from the altar. Don't walk away with this troublesome heart that is keeping you from living the life that is fully intended for you to live. Now, that's not a prosperity situation. That's fact. If I'm continuing to hold on to some sin that I had 35 years ago, that would be hard for me to remember I was three. Let's go back 30 years when I was eight or 12 even. When there's an age of accountability possibility. You know, when I'm 12 and I sin and I tell my mom and dad a lie, I'm guilty of that until I release it. Until I lay it at the foot of the father and I say, Father, forgive me. Because I was a sinner and and I want to be made whole. And the scripture tells us to name our sins. It doesn't tell us to just come with a blanket statement and say, Father, forgive us our sins. Now, somebody's getting ready to question me about the Lord's Prayer. I I can see it working in a couple of faces. The Lord's Prayer is not a bad prayer. The Lord's Prayer, however, is not the prayer we should be praying. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It is a model prayer that He gave us To know how to pray. If you want to see the Lord's Prayer. Go to John 17. See how he poured his heart out. See how he laid it all down in front of God. And he even said. If there is any other way. Now that's not actually documented. I think in John. I think it's actually in Matthew. But when Jesus prayed. He didn't just go before God and say. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. That's not the prayer that Jesus prayed. Every time that he walked into the room. That's not the prayer that Jesus prayed. Every time he went before the Father. He went before the Father. And he said make them one. As you and I are one. 
as me and the disciples are one. Make us one so that we can be unified in this. Do you know what the biggest dividing factor in the church today is? The biggest dividing factor in the church today is someone else's sin. It's someone else's sin. Why is it that? Because we're so much more worried about a splinter in somebody's eye than the plank in our own. We can't even see clearly because I I actually alluded to this last week. We can't see clearly because we've got this huge two by four sticking out of our own eye. And every time we turn, we're slapping people in the face with our own sin. And we're sitting there going, but what about this little tiny thing she's doing? You know, let me let me just throw some drapes over this. Let me let me paint it up real nice. Let me make this sin look pretty for you, because that's what the world's good at. The world has glorified sin so much so that we don't even know it's sin anymore. And I'm as guilty as anybody of overlooking a lot of things in my own life while trying to call others on the carpet. And I, I mean, and I have to confess those sins before the Lord as well. I have to come before the Lord and, and lay those down also. I mean, that's why Paul, when he wrote the letter, he said that he was the chief sinner. He called sinners on the carpet, among whom I am the chief. Among whom I am the greatest. I am the one who has sinned the most because he was focused introspectively, not outwardly. He wasn't looking at everyone else's sin because that's not my place to look. It's not for me to know what Charlie has done this week. That's between Charlie and the Lord. If Charlie feels guilty for a sin in his life, it's not for him to call Joe on the carpet about Joe's sins so that he feels better about his. It's not for me to look at Lamar's life or Kyle's life or Ernie's life. I can't look at Ernie and say, well, you've been doing this all week. You know, so I feel better. Well, Ernie's a much worse sinner than I am. I mean, you know, we can look at the Bible. All right, well, if you want to start classifying your sin, all right, let me explain something to you. Noah was a drunk. David was a murderer and an adulterer. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, Peter cussed. Don't believe me? It's in there. Peter was asked if he knew Christ and he denied him. Well, I've never denied Christ, so I'm doing better than Peter. But Peter was the rock, that foundation of the first church. Peter's confession of faith was God-given. And we all have that opportunity to move past our sin in the eyes of the Lord. The question is, are you moving past your sin in your own eyes? And who cares about the eyes of others? It doesn't matter what others are saying about you. I experience this on a daily basis. There are attacks that are going to come your way. There are people that are going to tear you down. They are going to try to stop everything good that God is doing in your life. Why? Because they can't stand to see the success that's going on in your life. They can't stand to see what God is doing through someone who's willing to be broken and faithful. So what? I have a sin in my past. Big deal. That sin doesn't keep me from growing closer to the Father. Because that sin is laid at the altar and forgotten as far as the east is from the west. You see, your sin can be the same way. For us to move forward to 2020, we've got to get through 2016. We've got to get through 2010. We've got to get through 1994. We've got to get through 1999. I can tell you dates. Well, I can't because I've forgotten them. But I I know that I can tell you years. 
And I can tell you what I was doing in those years. And I can tell you that if, if it weren't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be standing right here today sharing this message. If it weren't for the grace of God, I would be out in the world living like the rest of the world. I would be living like the news that Joe was talking about this morning. Are we living that way, though, when we're outside of this building? Are we living that way when we go out into the world? You know, I remember growing up at Heaton, and above the door in the back, and I've seen this many places, and I think some of you may know what I'm talking about. It says you're now entering the mission field. We want to look at the church as the mission field. We want to come into the church, and we want to gather with those who are like us because, well, we feel better about ourselves. There are people in the church today who go to church, and you sit there and go, why are they in church? Well, judge not lest you be judged, right? Because they are putting it down. They are laying it at the foot of the cross. Now, there are some who are in the church today who are not living that life outside, and they may as well not be in church. Let's just be real. Let's be honest. I mean, that happens. There are people, especially here. You don't see it as much in the city. But here, you see a lot of people who go to church who go because that is a status symbol in a Bible Belt society. Now, we're actually seeing a lot of falling away from that, and people wonder why the numbers in the church are going down. Well, let me tell you why the numbers in the church are going down, because people are waking up to who they are, and they don't care anymore. So they're leaving the church because they don't care. They don't want to hear it anymore. They're like, well, the world today now accepts me as who who I am. The world accepts me for who I say I am. The world wants me to be this or be that. Well, I can be that without judgment now. Amen. So now I don't have to put this face on and go inside the church and sit and listen to a message I don't agree with. They won't sit there and they won't amen you. They won't sit there and they, and, and, and they, they just don't care anymore. Or it could be because some of the ones sitting in the church today are living a life they're calling others out for living. And... You're pushing people away who God has drawn in. And then in the process of pushing those people away, you are now becoming guilty for their sins in your life because you are not perfect. I'm not perfect. It's not my job to get up here and point fingers and say, Lamar, you remember what you did back in 1993 that you never repented for? I don't know if you have anything. I'm sorry if I brought it up. But (laughs) the thing is, is, It's not for me to call Lamar out on something like that. Because I guarantee you back in 1993 out of 365 days, I sinned a few of those. I might have slept through a couple of those. So probably, I mean, I guess, well, let's see. Sloth is also a sin, right? So, So if I really get down to it, there's not a day goes by that I'm not guilty of something. That I'm not guilty of sinning in my own life. So why would I want to worry about someone else's problem? Why would I want to worry about someone else's sin? Judge not lest ye be judged is not to be used as a get out of jail free card. It's not the game of Monopoly. We're not sitting there and playing a game and it's like, okay, well, I'm guilty of this. Here's this card. I'm good. Yes, Sharon's guilty of sin. As a loving sister in Christ, Sharon should bring me the word of God and say, look, this is what I see in your life and this is not how this lines up. But Sharon should not cast judgment on me because that's not for her to do. Amen. The only judgment will come at the last day when we stand before the Father and He says one of two things. Depart from me, I never knew you. Or welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Amen. 
One of those two things will be said to you. You know, nothing else is going to matter that day. Nothing else is going to matter when we get there before the throne of God and he looks at us. He's either going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Get away from me. You have done nothing. And there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, but what about, but what about, who cares the what abouts that day? It isn't about what you did to make yourself look good. It's about what you did to make him look good. You know, it's really hard to let, to make God look good when your name's the most important thing on the line. Amen. When you're more worried about what people think about you. Like I said, I have rumors started about me numerous times. I've had, I've had people call me and go, oh, I heard this happen to you. And I'm like, good. Glad people are talking about me. Amen. You know, and in the past, I've attacked those things. I've tried to attack those things. And I've gotten to a point where I've allowed those things to become something that I continue to focus on. And the reality of it is, I mean, you're in education. You're a principal. You understand. People are going to say things about you just to tear you down. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is that when you're standing there and you're dealing with that circumstance, you've got two choices. One, you can attack it. And when you attack it, what's the first thing that happens? Well, he must be guilty. <laughs> he's, he's making an awful big effort to try to make this look good right now. Why is he doing it? It's all about his name right now. You know, it's all about what she's trying to get the point across about. Who cares what people say about you? What does he say about you? Who cares what people, if my name's Mud, that's great. I don't care. Who do people think he is because of my life? Are they looking at my life and seeing a sinner that is saved by grace, that has the opportunity now to tell others about how great our God is? Or do they see someone who's broken down by the darts that are being thrown by the enemy? Who's broken down and defeated because of the things that are tearing his name? My name's the last thing on my worry list. And I worry about a lot. I get that from my mom. You know, mom. Amen. But the reality of it is, who are you in his eyes? C.S. Lewis said one time, he said, if we could but see each other the way that God sees us, we would bow down in a moment of worship. Thank God I can't see you like he sees you. Because there's only one worthy of that worship today. That one that is worthy of that worship died on a cross. Job mentioned it, talked about it this morning. That one, I mean, I know the past that I have. And to be honest with you, because some of you have opened up to me, I know the past that you have. I know that Pat and I sat on her porch one night for three and a half hours talking about the Lord talking about what he's done in her life, what he's done in my life, and how we can move forward together as a unified body of Christ at Newland Christian Church. Amen. I know that Ernie and I have a great friendship. I can look at each one of you in here and tell you something that has happened between me and you. I can tell you about the life that we have. There's a, well, actually, I can tell. Maybe you... Not, We've kind of just met. But, <laughs> but even then, you guys are one, so technically it still matters. But see, this is where we are today. This is who we are today. And this is day one. As I said a few months ago, I talked about this being day one or one day. We can talk about today being the day we move forward. Or we can talk about one day we're going to get through this. 
We can talk about today being the day that we start this, or we can talk about one day we're going to finally figure it all out. Well, one day we're going to fix the basement, right? Day one is tomorrow, in case anybody's wondering. They're going to be here tomorrow working on this. Weather permitting, they're going to be out here working on the drain, and then they're going to work their way inside. So day one has to happen for the job to be complete. Is this day one or one day in your life? Is this day one or one day in your 2020 vision? What do you want to be in 14 months? What do you want to be when the new year of 2020 rolls over? I'm not worried about a month and a half. I'm not worried about 2019. I'm giving you an opportunity to see where you can be in 14 months in your life. I'm giving you an opportunity to go to God, to seek Him, and to offer an opportunity to yourself to get past the past, to forget the things that are holding you down, to forget the things that are keeping you from growing closer to Him. Now, that being said, I need to say this. It's not going to be easy. You see that sign that's out there. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. The first thing you see is what? It's a matter of perspective. How many of you, and I know I've asked this question, just think about it privately. I'm not asking you to raise your hands today. I'm just simply asking you this. How many of you saw God is nowhere the first time you saw it? Think about it. Because there is another message in that sign. And it's gotten more traction in emails and phone calls than any other side that has been on that board in two and a half years that I've been here. Okay, tell me what the sign says. That's the first question I get from people. Well, it's God is now here. Oh. Or it's God is nowhere. Which one? <laughs> yeah. And I, I leave it there. But do you see God is now here? Or do you see God as nowhere? Or as I talked about a couple weeks ago, do they see when they look at your life, you're as jumbled up as that sign. That is your life in word. And when they look at your life today, do they see God is now here? When you walk into a room, do they see the presence of God in your life and how he works in who you are? Do they see the presence of God in every opportunity that you can seize? Or do they see God as nowhere? Because of the life that you're living outside of this building. The life that you're living outside of your house. The life that you're living outside of three hours a week. All right. If we break that down and we talk about tithing and we think about the things that are there, the one thing that we can see in this is simply this. We talked about the tithing and the 10% was for royalty, which he then wanted to turn in over to God. All right. Well, let's take this a step further. What about your time? What about your material possessions? Are you giving a tenth of that to God? In fact, let's just be real. I I said this yesterday, and I felt bad after the fact because somebody said something about giving a tenth to God, and I responded with, well, that's not what the New Testament says. Because Christ gave all, we should also be willing to do the same. Are we willing to give him every aspect of our lives? Are we willing to give him everything of who we are? Are we willing to give him every waking moment? Every sleeping moment, every thought, every vehicle, every home, every dollar, every penny. Are we withholding something or are we allowing ourselves to lay it all on the line? To give it all back to him. When you put your job in his hands, and I think I said this a few weeks ago, 
But this is a great way to wrap this up today. I think it's simply this. When you start to put everything in God's hands, eventually you start to see God's hands in everything. When you start to put it all in His hands, eventually you start to see His work and His provision. So let's go back over some of these verses we talked about. We're not by any means done with this series. But this is a good review point for us. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are humble, or no, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Not just, or actually seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. This is what you get from going from memory sometimes, um, especially in my mind. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Forgive their sin and heal their land. It's not the verse that we want to put out there for everybody anymore. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land? Because we want to leave out the action. We want to leave out the sin. We want to leave out the, the confusion in our own lives. Well, God isn't, he's not a God of confusion. He's made it crystal clear. There should be no confusion about who we are, what our identity is. And I am talking about society these days. There are not 174 different genders. I'm just going to lay that on the line real quickly and say it. There are two because God created man and woman. The Bible tells me that that is the honest truth. He created man and woman alike. That's it. That's it. There's just in case this, this new trend that they've got right now in the news where they don't want to call a baby a baby. They want to call it a baby. Because they want the baby at four years old to be able to make the decision of if it's a boy or a girl. This is real, by the way. This is absolutely real. This is the world we live in. First of all, (laughs) science got that one right. There's only one way to tell, one or the other. There's not really any other opportunity there. It's not what you feel, it's who you are. Our identity can become clouded in what we feel. The heart above all else is deceitful. If we feel it in our heart that we're this, well, that's fine and dandy. But who are you? God gives you an identity when you come to a relationship with him. But when you push him away, when you turn your back on what he's doing, he gives you an identity to what he needs you to be, what he wants you to be, and on the call in your life. That identity is who he has made you to be. It's who you are created to be. Created in his image. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image. Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's one other part of Psalm 139. If you've never gone to Psalm 139, turn to it right now. Let's turn to Psalm 139. And this is by no means in my notes. But this is how we're going to end today. And I just, I know this is God. Psalm 139 is probably one of the most beautiful psalms in all of Scripture. And there's some really good life lessons. You see, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot obtain it. 
How beautiful are those words? And there's more. I mean, we could go on all day, but there's, there's a whole lot here to comprehend just in those seven verses. But then you skip down to verse 14, and it says this, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The psalmist understood God and his spirit. The psalmist understood God and his creativeness. The psalmist understood the fact that God knows our inmost being. He knows the words you think, much less the words you say. He knows them before they become words. Because he knows them as the thoughts that you have. He knows where your heart is. (coughs) Judge not lest ye be judged doesn't necessarily speak to the words of me calling Pastor Black out on something he's done. It's even the thought that I had because he already knew it. He's judging me in the manner that I judge someone else, even if that judgment never became public in this world. When you look at the guy that's homeless sitting on the edge of the road and you drive by him because, well, he just doesn't look like the guy you want to help, are you casting judgment? When you walk by the guy on the street who's broken and torn and it's like, well, he's, he deserves to be where he's at because of drugs, because of alcohol. You don't know how they got there. You ever had a bad day? You ever had a tough life? You ever go through a difficult time? I'll be honest with you. Until you go and see what happens in the inner city of New York, you don't recognize how good you had it growing up here. I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard. Being a a young man from a small town to go into a big city and see people who are broken, who are making more than you, living on the side of the road, and you've got a house, you've got a roof over your head, you got, at the time I had two vehicles, I finally sold one, but two vehicles, and they're sitting on the edge of the road because it was a house or food, and they chose to eat and sustain themselves over a place to live because they might be able to find that in a cardboard box over a subway grate. You know, one of the things that humbled me the most about New York City was walking by St. Francis of Assisi Cathedral. Going in, going out and doing this street ministry we did, and then coming back and recognizing there was a statue of Jesus sitting by the steps of this church that I didn't even see on my way in. Had walked right by it and never even looked down. And it's a simple statue of him sitting there with his hands out with a sign above it that says, what you did for the least of these, you've done unto me. Do you realize how heartbreaking that is? As someone who finds themselves, you know, I, I thought pretty good about my relationship with Christ, and then I didn't even recognize him sitting on the edge of the street. What you did for the least of these, you've done unto me. Judge not, lest you be judged by the same fashion. Because what does it say about the tax collector and the Pharisee? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not this horrible person that this guy is. And the tax collector just simply stands there and says, God, forgive me, a sinner. And as Jesus said, and I leave you with that question this morning. As Jesus said to them that day when he told that story. Which one do you think left more blessed? And for